Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Uncle Jeff Merrick. Uncle, what's going on? I am playing the role of guest today. You Jeff, always, you always say that. You always say that, yes. and then you wind up stealing the show. I mean it this time. Mm. Um, I've stopped lying to you. I've known you long enough now that it's about time that I just stop lying to you. I think we're at that stage in our relationship now when the lies have to stop. Yes. You know, because uh, when, when you first meet someone, doesn't matter whether it's someone socially, someone professionally, everybody BSs each other until you get to know one another. Then, you, then you've sort of earned, earned the respect to be honest. And I think we're there in our relationship now, Dimitri. I'll stop lying to you. Yeah. Well, you know how I know you're not a regular guest? Because um, whenever I have anyone on and I ask them, how's it going? They just say good. And then like, it's like a really short response. And then I have to quickly kind of, kind of figure out what I want to say. And instead, I, I ask you, how's it going? And you gave me like a 35-second response on how it's going. So that's... See, here's, here's one of the things that I've learned in broadcasting. You need to know when to let the other guy tap dance or when to let his brain or her brain spool a little bit so they can get to the next element that they want to get to. Mm-hmm. And so that is essentially the version of like... That's like a little sort of musical interlude while you collect your thoughts and get ready for the next segment of the program. The show's already getting very self-referential here. I understand that. But that's one of those things you pick up along. I haven't learned much in broadcasting, trust me, Dimitri, but that's one of the things I have learned so far. Mm. Well, it's good to have you back on the uh, on the podcasting airwaves. I don't know. Do podcasts have airwaves? It's not. I feel like that make much more sense on the radio. But yeah. I'm, the, uh, I'm the podcast nomad now. I just wander around. From podcast to podcast, as I try to find my own my own little home. Mm, Once cool. again, now that my podcast is done, I'm just you always have a home here, Jeff. You always have a home. Thanks, here. buddy. I'm on the Rushmore, so mm. I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in the cradle here, Dimitri. Yeah, we got to get those. Um, I, I took the shop down during the summer, but uh, I got to get those shirts back up. I've had a few people wanting to uh, walk around with Jeff Merrick's face on their chests. So. Oh, it's sad. That's pathetic. <laughs> do something. Do something productive with your lives. Um. So okay, let's do something productive here, me and you. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about hockey. Um, sure. So did you watch? Uh, did you watch last night's Leafs Kings game? Uh, I was working the San Jose Sharks New York Rangers game, but it was the only two games on. I was working with Colby. Actually, Matt Lashoff came and popped by yesterday, so I got to hang out with Matt. I haven't seen him in years. Mm-hmm. So the three of us kind of watched both games at the same time. So a long-winded way of saying yes, but kind of because I was paying more attention to San Jose and uh, and the Rangers. So there's there's three sort of talking points uh, coming coming off that game. I mean, one was sort of heading into it. It was, you know, I think it was the first versus the third um, highest scoring teams in the league, and we expected the Leafs to be up there, but the changes the Kings have made this summer, particularly bringing in an offensive coordinator in Pierre Turgeon and sort of making a concerted effort to change their style of play has, um, you know, been an early season success story, and we can get into that a bit. But the other thing that I mm-hmm. noticed was... I mean, there was obviously the concussion protocol stuff with Jonathan Quick getting hit in the head and, you know, not really coming out of the game other than for a few seconds. And it's sparked this debate online about uh, the need to fight after a big hit, even if it's clean. So uh, I guess those are a few things we can talk about here. Sure. Where do you want to start? I mean, the concussion one seems to be the biggie. That's the one that really galvanizes people. And I think there's a really tricky area if you want to start with that. I think there's a really tricky area that we can explore here. And we saw the first sort of element of it last night with Jonathan Quick. Yeah. You want to do it? Yes, let's do it. Let's get into it. 
faking injuries mm. is the big one. You know, as you know, he refused to pull himself out. You know, he looked like, listen, I'm fine. I'm going to stay in the game. But you're trapped by this concussion protocol here. And again, I'm just hypothesizing on this because I've talked to plenty of players, maybe one of them last night that I worked with, Kobe Armstrong, mm -hmm. who has you know admitted publicly that, yeah, I did it. Every player does it. You do things in order to draw penalties. Mm -hmm. You know, would it, is it beyond the realm of possibility that all Jonathan Quick was doing in that situation was he got hit by either, you know, Zach Hyman or Derek Forbert in the head, shook his head a little bit and went down and tried to draw a goalie interference penalty. I think it's step and then when and then when he got bumped, we uh, got caught in that concussion protocol twilight zone right. where he had to go off. And I mean, do, is it not? Is it beyond the realm of possibility they could have gotten it, that when John Quick finally went off, he told the trainer and the coach, "Look, I was just trying to draw one out there," and and that's all that and that's all that happened. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's a little bit of gamesmanship involved there, and it's entirely possible. I think that uh, you know with the lasting image of of what happened to mark andre Fleury as recently as what like a week or 10 days ago um yeah. i and everything we know now about head injuries and how the league hasn't necessarily done the best job of uh of protecting its players in that regard like i i think people are also um it's justifiable that people are cynical about whether you know this was handled correctly again and I guess only the Kings and Jonathan Quick would actually know the answer to that, but it it wasn't it didn't look good, and regardless of whether it was an actual thing that happened or whether it was uh, yeah. kind of gamesmanship on his part, optics are bad. And what's John Stevens going to do? Uh, who's the referee? I think it was Gislani Bear. Tell the referee that uh, oh yeah, my guy's just trying to sucker you into getting to getting <laughs> to getting a penalty here. Like it puts the coach in a tough 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 position. It puts Quick in a tough position. Puts the trainer in a tough position. Puts the NHL in a tough position. All because if my little hypothesis is somewhere near correct, he's just trying to get a power play for his team. Well, you know who it puts in the toughest position? Poor Darcy Kemper. I mean, what what kind of message does it send that uh, the Kings were like frantically trying to get quick back in there with one minute and 11 seconds left in the period? It's like you can't even handle yeah. these 71 seconds of play without giving up a goal. We got to get you out of here. I uh, know. Just, you know, just for the optics of it, you know, just take a pass for the rest of the period and then come out for the third. You know, even if you're just trying to draw one, we got caught here. Um, let's just try to make the best of a bad situation. <laughs> you know, let's uh, let Kemper eat up the remainder of the period here and then you'll come up for the third. And we'll all pretend like you went through concussion protocol hmm. and there won't be any questions about it yeah um do you have any thoughts on the uh on the topic of fighting after a clean hit i understand why guys do it hmm. um i think big hits are more than anything else you know there's there's two there's two reasons one i mean it's a real alpha situation hmm. and you want to be the big dog in that situation I, I i know it may be stupid but sports is you know what your head knows and what your heart feels and there's usually a disconnect between those two things. Right. Um, so I, I get the big dog element of it. I get that alpha because a lot of alphas in sports, in, in pick whatever sport it is, um, there's that element of you're not going to do that to my guy, regardless if it's a clean hit or not. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure you don't hit my guy, even if it's clean, mm. you know, because it could be potentially dangerous because hits are jarring and hits, even their clean hits, you know, can, can really hurt a player. Um, Secondly, uh, it kills the momentum right there. And hockey, if you talk to coaches and if you talk to players, they'll talk to you so much about needing to change momentum. Oh, we need to get momentum back on our side. There's, and maybe this is overstated and overplayed, but these guys all talk about it all the time, about feeling momentum shifts and moments in the game where momentum change or we built on this. And this, I mean, how many times have you heard that? Oh, we really, you know, really came together after that fight or really built after that, that big hit in the second period. Whether it's ridiculous or not, these guys believe it and these guys feel it. And whether there's uh, numbers to back it up to them, that's irrelevant. Mm. And so I think in a lot of ways, what that automatic fight is, let's stop the momentum now. Let's not give this team any time to build on a big hit, a big collision, something that will galvanize the bench, something that will galvanize all the players on the ice. Let's stop the play right now. We'll have a fight for a couple of minutes. We'll pause to go to the penalty boxes. And then all of a sudden, all the emotion and all the alleged momentum built from that moment will be gone. 
Now, you can debate whether that's right or wrong, whether it's, you know, stupid or infantile. Hey, hits are, uh, you know, hits are legal. Uh, we keep hearing players saying, don't take the physicality out of the game, but doesn't a fight right after a hit take the physicality out of the game by, um, by very definition? I get all that. But I keep coming back to a couple of things. Players keep talking about momentum and the idea of your head knows one thing, but your heart feels another. I mean, hands up here who's anyone listening to this podcast right now who's done something they knew in their head was stupid, hmm. but they did so because their heart said this is the right thing to do. I think everyone, everyone would uh, be raising their hand right now. Um, but yeah, I guess. And, 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 you know, and you know what? I think a lot of it is just taught behavior all the way up. Right. But that's changing because you see in junior hockey now, like you see a big hit in, in junior hockey and guys stand there and look at the referee. Like this is becoming more, <clears throat> it's funny. I, talk, I talked a lot to uh, last year about this with uh, every time I work with Colby because we have this thing about scrums. You know, scrums are the new fights. And right now, you know, there's, there's generations of players that aren't used to fights because there's no fights. And if you look at junior hockey, you know, relative, there's very little fighting. Mm-hmm. College hockey, very little, if any, fighting at all. By the time you get to the NHL, you know, a fight is a very foreign thing. And a physical face-to-face confrontation is a unique thing to a lot of players once you take the cages off and once it's just visors. Okay, in the case of the old guys, you know, visorless, you know, uh, uh, visorless just plain face. Um, and what you see in scrums now is once upon a time when there was a scrum, everybody dropped their gloves. They weren't going to fight, but everyone dropped their gloves and they grabbed someone, right? Remember that old saying? Mm-hmm. Just hold, just get hold of someone, right? Just so that person can't be part of the fight. And they, each guy would grab each other like strong, right? And they would like look at each other like they were, they wanted you to know, hey, no monkeying around here. This is all business. Mm-hmm. Hey, even though we're not going to get involved in the fight, I'm going to make sure that you don't do anything here. We're just going to you know, hold each other to make sure that nothing happens. If you look at scrums now, <laughs> Dimitri, it's hilarious because mm-hmm. most of the guys are not used to them. Right. Uh, I think a little bit intimidated by them, if not afraid of them. Watch where players look during scrums. Players don't look at each other during scrums anymore. No one looks each other in the eye. No one has the Joel Quenville, Mike Bobcock death stare in a scrum anymore. They grab on because, well, that's what we're supposed to kind of do here. And they all stare up in space (laughs) because they don't want that. They don't want even a visual confrontation, let alone a physical confrontation. Yeah, it's a a lot of a saving face and sort of a hold me back moments. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're right behind the lines. But yeah. Oh, where's Kevin Collins? You got to go behind behind Kevin Collins. Oh, he's not in the league anymore? Oh, damn, I'm screwed. I mean, the the thing is, is like, I guess, I mean, there's obviously a certain segment of fans that still do enjoy that component of the game. I mean, I obviously personally don't. But, like, for example, last night, so I forget the exact players involved. I think it was, like, nicked out or some, or hit someone. And then Matt Martin jumps in and fights Andy Andrioff or something like that. Yep. And, like, I thought the point, like, isn't there an instigator rule in place to just toss a guy like Martin for starting a fight like that out of nowhere just as a reactionary thing? And then, yeah. obviously, he comes back on the ice and, uh, you know, the Leafs score a goal shortly thereafter. And... Um, you know, that's obviously not going to happen all the time with Matt Martin. He's not, he's not out there to score the goals, but it's like, I, I just, I'd like to see that part of the game enforced a little bit because I, I like, I'm all for defending your teammates and, and standing up, for, standing up yeah. for your guys. But I mean, especially like after a clean hit and, and obviously sometimes as a player on the ice, you might not necessarily see it and you just see your guy down there and you think the worst, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it just seems unnecessary to me in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, there's that there's that with us or against us type of you know yeah. there's a real mil- military vibe like no matter what no matter you know who the aggressor was uh, who the you know the real victim is and you know should this guy have kept his head up and it's a, you know even if it's a clean body check you just have to you have to get immediate revenge whether you're in the right or you're in the wrong and that's I mean that's fiercely ingrained I mean that's fiercely ingrained in, in hockey culture but you, in, on that play I don't even think they gave him fighting majors did they yeah. did they both send them off for double rough like the weird thing is like we're, I'm watching this and uh, I can't remember the other because I was watching with Lashoff and Armstrong and I remember one of them said like hang on I think they're just giving them double roughing and we're like they were throwing punches like the gloves were off and they were chucking them and I think they both went off I, I could be wrong I don't have the game sheet in front of me but uh, I think they both sent them off they didn't even consider that a fight 
for some bizarre reason. Well, this would be an interesting discussion to have with someone who was a big time advocate of fighting and its importance into the game. Um, like, how do you reconcile? I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy. But then, how do you? I was that. How do you reconcile that with the fact that once we reach the playoffs, when the games all become very important, it just pretty much gets mm, completely taken fighting. out of the game. There, there, there is there, there are still fights. Mostly when the game's at like already decided, though, it's like it's you rarely ever see important ones when the game is still on the line. I feel like. Yeah, no, I mean they they certainly shrink, but mm. at the same time, this this comes back to I think the schedule is really long, you know, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of empty calorie nights. There's a lot of games that quote unquote don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like when the stakes are the highest, and you can't afford to have anybody sit down, let alone risk risking an aggressor penalty, and sit an extra two and put the team on the power play, then you don't you just don't do it, or nor nor do you even have those guys out. But in order to get, there's a lot of things you need to do to get through a season. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily believe this, but teams do. Some teams believe that you need to have a policeman out there to make sure that all your kids, all your players can get through the entire season um, without having guys headhunt them. You know, I jury out again, jury out whether any of this is true, but that was the old school mentality. Let's get through the season and get to the games that really count. And at that point, you know, you don't need your your fourth line cop on the beat. Yes. Yeah. Well, so but it's it's phasing out anyway, right? Like I mean, is, yeah. I mean, and and you look at I mean, the NHL isn't hitting fast forward on this thing. They're letting this thing. I mean, slowly but surely. You know, the latest step was you know mandatory visors. Uh, so a lot less players are um, are fighting now because what are you going to do? You're just going to you know crunch an eye tack. Wow, good for you. So you just smashed up your hand. Like lock. There's when you get to the point, and I think we are going to get there eventually, where full cages are mandatory or full goldfish bowls or man, whatever you choose to put in front of your face. I think we will get to that point in the game somewhere down the road. Yeah. And that I think will be the final straw for fighting. So you don't actually have to have a rule, you know, you fight and you know, you're suspended for 10 games. Just no one's going to do it, but I don't think there's going to be one single act that says you fight, you're suspended for five games. Well, the thing, I mean, when you mentioned it being sort of phased out naturally, the thing I'm most fascinated by is, um, you know, back in the day, every team used to have at least one spot on their fourth line basically devoted to a guy whose yep. main role was to, to drop the gloves and fight and be an enforcer. And now we're seeing more teams sort of, instead of devoting that spot to a fighter, they're devoting it to a power player, a penalty kill specialist. And there's so many guys in the AHL that are super talented. But, you know, when, when the game picks up its speed at 5-1-5 at the NHL level, they can't really keep up. So they're, you know, deemed ineffective. But, you know, yep. we, see, we, see, we, see, we saw it last year. I mean, Columbus was so, uh, you know, was ahead of the game with having guys like Sam Gagne and Scott Hartnell on their fourth line, but all of a sudden being super useful in the power play. And, you know, there's guys like Martin Furk and Detroit and so on and so forth. And I just, I would like to see that become more of a trend and see, um, you know, how far teams can take it and, and, and what happens with that position. Because there's obviously, I mean, there's enough lineup spots that you can sort of kind of pick your spots and, and be kind of creative with how you're filling out that roster. But that is happening, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Like, we are starting to see in the, the – I mean, first of all, there's no such thing as the top six as the top nine now. Mm-hmm. And even your fourth line has to have some skill. And your penalty killers have to be able to move their feet, replays, uh, and play effectively, not just, you know, lie down there and block shots. Like this, this is all happening. I think maybe – I think maybe your concern, if I read you right, is it's not happening fast enough for you. But if I think if you pull back and look from a macro point of view, I think, Dimitri, kind of everything that you want to happen in the game – it's kind of happening, isn't it? Maybe just the argument is, is it happening fast enough for you? Yeah. And I think, I think legitimately there's a conversation there. But I think everything that you're talking about is already, you know, the game is already headed that direction. I mean, yes, but there's still uh, certain teams and coaches that are lagging behind. I mean, Jared Bowl is play, taking regular shifts at the NHL level in 2017. So, I mean, you can't say it's it's happening league-wide. Like, it's definitely yeah. happening. You know, it's, it's, the onset is increasing and it's happening and more and more and, frequently. And that's an old school coach, right? That's Randy yeah. Carlisle, and Randy Carlisle still sees you know some value in that player, mm. you know, on a uh, on on a fourth line. Well, there's a lot of other coaches that that just don't. You know, uh, the best case scenario for a lot of these guys is you have you know you have a guy that can uh, that can play, um, you know, in line on lines three or four that can also handle himself uh, if things get and and that's really where this thing is headed, anyhow. Like, you know, the days of, you know, Steve McIntyre and George Peros and, you know, the Colton Award, like, it's gone. Yeah. 
like like it's 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 done um and i think we're gonna look back at that era and go what the hell are we thinking and i was one of those people yeah like listen i was one of those like you know plant the flag stand by it you know uh defend it and at a certain point you have to realize you know if you're a kid and you're walking through the zoo and you're holding a balloon and you let go of your balloon to go get a drink at the water fountain and the balloon goes away, no amount of reaching up in the air is going to bring that balloon back. Yeah. Like at a certain point, you just have to realize that this is the way the game is changing and you can either shake your fist at clouds or you can say, okay, this is the new reality of, uh, of what hockey is and you can do two things, nothing and like it or go away. Yeah. And I've always said that I don't think there's anything that's going to make – I don't think there's anything really that hockey's going to do as a sport on the ice uh, that's going to make me go away. So here I am. Yeah, and part of life is – uh, adjusting your expectations and beliefs as you learn more about a certain topic. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I remember growing up, um, one of my favorite things was like when Jerome McGinley would get mad and fight, <laughs> f- fight another, another guy on the other team to like spark himself and his team. And yeah. he'd seemingly like come back on the ice and score a goal and just play way better. And I remember growing up thinking like that was like the coolest thing. And now yeah. obviously as we know more about the importance of fighting and whether there's actually any tangible impact and also all the head injury stuff, like there's reasons for concern and to be soured on it. And I think that's okay too. So I think that's I think where I'm that- at with it. I think part of it too that we lose as, as part of the conversation too is this is still an entertainment product. Mm-hmm. Like we tend we tend to think of of sports as sports, and there's a separate section of the newspaper dedicated to it. There's a separate section on you know news blogs is dedicated to this thing called sports. When really at the pro level, when there's money exchanged, now all of a sudden what you used to think of as sports now belongs in the entertainment section and it's competing with TV shows and it's competing with movies and it's competing with video games and it's competing with music. It's competing with every other place where you would spend your recreational dollars. And I think, you know, you go back, it was the, that Punch Imlach used to say, uh, you know, uh, if we don't stop this fighting, we're going to have to build bigger arenas here to hold all the people. I mean, it, it, it is still, you know, an, an attraction. It is still something that, that people gravitate towards, and it is part of that presentation. Um, the realities of health concerns and concussions have, you know, turned the light on after last call and sort of made us all realize that this is probably not the sanest or safest thing. But, you know, let's not forget here, too, like this is still an entertainment you know, product that's being sold. Um, you know, that's why all the jerseys have unique logos and, you know, marketing divisions of all these teams, you know, have multi-million dollar budgets. That's not why, you know, Detroit just doesn't have a D on their jersey and Toronto has a T and Vancouver has a V and Philadelphia has a P and, you know, yeah, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. You know, this is part of this, you know, the fighting has always been part of this product that is being sold and that's been baked in the pie for a lot of these guys and so even the idea of even considering getting rid of it is like taking money out of their pockets and i think that's why for so long they've they've resisted this idea of, of moving towards a um a more non-violent nhl yeah no, i'm right there with you um so we're talking a bit about uh about randy carl on the ducks uh did you did you catch the King? Uh, sorry, the Ducks uh, Montreal Canadiens game on Friday night. I did. That was my going to sleep game. That oh my god! I, did you stay up all night as a result? I, I mean, that was. I, I think that's I, my no, favorite listen. game this year. <laughs> really? I think the the first Tampa Pittsburgh game, not the blowout game from last week, but two weeks ago, the first Tampa Pittsburgh game was my favorite game so far this year. Although Pittsburgh and Florida had a really good one two Saturdays ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I couldn't take my eyes off it. Uh. It was it was two different games in two different periods until Anaheim ran away with it in the third. Um, was it thirty shots Montreal threw on Anaheim in the second period after getting roasted in the first? Yeah, I mean when, like, you, when and, you and it's an Anaheim team, you know that's essentially playing you know Dallas Aikens, San Diego Gulls, and Anaheim Ducks jerseys that are just starching the Montreal Canadiens, just murking them like left and right. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I can't believe I'm seeing this. And Montreal came out, and I, I could have sworn there were two pucks on the ice. The amount of uh, the amount of pucks are being directed at Anaheim's net. That Tampa Bay Pittsburgh game is a completely different sport than the the Canadiens Ducks game we're talking about here. I mean, just for, for comedic purposes, I honestly, it, it was like a train wreck. You 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 couldn't look away. I mean, 
Cam Fowler goes out early in that game, and all of a sudden the Ducks are just riding Francois Beauchemin and Kevin Bieksa, and Derek Grant scores his first two career goals, and he's approaching 100 NHL games for his career. I mean, it was just it was so bizarre, and it was just a perfect culmination of uh, things just going horribly wrong in South for the Canadians, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see uh, what's going to happen there and if they can turn around, if there's going to be any dr- any drastic changes. But yeah, with the Ducks team, I mean, I've, I've had questions about. Uh, you know what my what my thoughts are on them and whether they're going to make the playoffs. And I think that the fact that they're keeping their head above water here with all the injuries they've had is remarkable. I mean, I can't remember a team starting the year missing this much talent. It looks like they're getting Getzlaff and Lindholm back now, finally, as as they lose Fowler yeah. and, and Eves long term. And, and best wish, best wishes to Patrick Eves. It's a scary illness he's dealing with right now. But I mean, it's. Like I like I like this Ducks team a lot. I think they have a ton of talent, but just watching the roster they've had to use in the first couple of weeks has been yeah. shocking. It really is the San Diego goals. Yeah, it is. And as you mentioned, they're getting players back. And I think what it, you know gives you room for optimism is uh you know let's wait for Vegas to get out on the road a little bit here. They've only played I want to say two road games so far. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong about that. Two road games so far this season. Um, Los Angeles will come down to earth. Um, you know, they're not this team that we've seen, uh, out of the gate and the Jeff Carter injury is, is probably going to sting sooner than later. Um, Vancouver has been a nice tidy story winners of two over the weekend, you know, good for them. Um, and by the way, how, how remark, I, I love that. Cause you love that sort of ceremonial. This is over now. Uh, the moment that Jake Vertanen stood up Nicholas Cronwall in that game on Sunday when Cronwall dropped down from the blue line to hit him with that Cronwall hit that has destroyed guys and Vertanen stood him up and knocked down Cronwall. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've never seen that hit not work. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe I, I've never seen Nick Cronwall not absolutely destroy someone on that hit. But Vertanen's the guy that, that it was like, it was like when Larry Robinson came out of the Montreal dressing room in that flyers brawl and made a beeline for Dave Schultz and beat the stuffing out of him. It ended you know, Dave Schultz as 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 King Kong around the NHL. And I'm like, wow, Jake Pertanen just, you know, ended Cronwall and that Cronwall hits like, wow, that's amazing. But I think what's saving Anaheim here is those the, the top three teams, in the Pacific are punching well over their weight right now. And Anaheim is still in the thick of things, only a couple of points out of a playoff spot and with a lot more talent than L.A., Vegas or Vancouver. So I think they're fine. Yeah, yeah, they're going to get healthy eventually. I mean, I guess from that game, the more interesting discussion to be had is, uh, is Montreal the team that you're most concerned about based on the expectations we had for them heading into the year and them disappointing so far? Or would that honor go to, I don't know, a New York Rangers or an Edmonton Rangers? Yeah, Yeah, those, 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 and those are the three. Those are the three. Montreal, the New York Rangers, and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Oilers get Dreisaitl and Kajula back tonight, I believe, Dimitri. Correct me on that one if I'm wrong. Yep, I think you're right. And Dreisaitl's playing on the third line, so they're splitting him and McDavid up finally, which I've wanted to see for a while now. Well, time to earn the money, right? Yep. Time to earn the big ticket. Uh, I mean, the Rangers are concerning because they can't score goals. And man, did they look flat last night against the San Jose Sharks. I mean, San Jose aren't exactly world beaters, but I mean, they were dancing around. They were they were dancing around the New York Rangers uh, last night. Uh, all, all that great work that that Kevin Hayes line did against Nashville on Saturday, all undone last night <laughs> against yeah. the San Jose Sharks. Logan Couture continues, by the way, to be a real nice, quiet story this year in the mm-hmm. NHL. Uh, for San Jose. Um, concerned about the Rangers. Hey, did you think that after that Donskoy goal uh, that Lundqvist was going to say, yeah, I'm not coming out for the third? Put pa- put Pavlik in there. Like I was, especially, you know, he did that little, you know, tweaked his knee a little bit as Donskoy went past him and kind of bumped his pad. Um, once upon a time, that's a game that Lundqvist kind of says, yeah, I'm done with. But he, uh, he hung in there. Montreal's in, I mean, Montreal and the New York Rangers in some ways – are sort of mirroring each other in that, you know, two veteran coaches, two elite level netminders, and the same questions about who's going to score the goals uh, are, are coming from both teams. So pick your, pick your poison there. Uh, it, are the Rangers the most disappointing? Because I had them outside the playoffs. I don't think I had Montreal outside the playoffs. And listen, this is a, this is a better team than we've seen from Montreal. Right. 
I don't think anyone believes. I mean, you're on top of this. I don't think it's going to be a 4% shooting team yes. for the entire season. Yep. I don't think Carey Price is going to have an 880 save percentage when he's a career 920 save percentage guy. Um, it's bad, and everything gets magnified because it's Montreal. Everything gets magnified because it's the beginning of the year. You know, if Montreal or the Rangers go through this in late December or January, are we having the same sky is falling conversation? Probably not. Um, but as it goes to the Habs, I mean, so many things have been questioned by the fans and the media, starting with the Subban deal. And sorry, but it's all coming back once again to the beginning where the domino started to fall. This the the PK Subban deal that y- you just wonder how long you know Mark Bergevin can go on with the losing until until he does something about it. Right. But then the flip side of that is. Do they even let him do something about it? Yeah, that's a trick here because, like, how can you have confidence in Mark Bergevin to be the guy to fix it if he's the one that got them into this mess to begin with, right? Like, that's the trick with with being a general manager. It's like once you make a series of moves and they don't work out, it's it's you lose the confidence of your ownership or of your fan base that you're the guy for the job because you're the reason we're in this yeah. position to begin with. I think th- th- these, those two teams are, I mean, we can take them one by one here, but like the, obviously the Canadians, as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of indicators that suggest they've been super unlucky and, and they will start scoring goals and getting more saves and they'll look better. I think that they've looked they're worse. They're getting shots. Like they're getting yeah. chances, right? Like correct me, I think they have the most shots on goal of any team in the NHL. Like it's not like as if they're not getting their chances. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, so the Canadians have looked like worse based on the results, but I think there's more reason to believe that this is going to improve. With the Rangers, I'm having these LN Vigno Canucks flashbacks all over again, where it's the team's just kind of just falling apart, and everyone is uh, is blaming the coach for his deployment of guys and his lineup and his line combinations. But I don't know. There's it's 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 tough, right? Like I feel like Lundqvist um, masked a lot of their flaws in recent years. And he made everything look better than it actually was. And now that he he slowed down a little bit and he plays so deep in his crease that it was you know his entire game was revolved around uh, sort of instincts and reaction time. And as you age, if that slows down a little bit, all of a sudden your mm-hmm. ability ability to do so uh, evaporates. And it's it's tough because if he's not going to be that nine twenty just reliable every year save percentage goalie for them, all of a sudden they don't have that to fall back on, and now they're really in trouble. So I. I I'm, I still don't think they're this bad, but if you're asking me who I'm more concerned about, I think it's definitely the Rangers. And they have to win a bunch of two to one games, right? right? Like, like that's like, man, is Chris Kreider a frustrating player or, or, or what? Like, mm-hmm. he should should he not be like the prototypical NHL power forward in 2017? You know, pop. When you look at the skill set, the speed, like all of it, you know, Kreider should be scoring 35 goals a year, shouldn't he? And just like starching guys on the boards, like that. That should be Chris Kreider. He's got one goal. Yeah, but the tough, know, the tough thing with perception is, like, if a guy like Chris Kreider, who has all the talent and physical tools in the world, um, when he doesn't live up to that potential, it, we are like kind of unfairly just we, we criticize him. But it's like we, we we talk down upon him as if he's the reason the Rangers are losing. Whereas if a fourth line grinder who has five goals and twenty points in a season does just that, we kind of praise him for doing his job. So yeah, it's, but there's, it's but there's different expectations for yeah. different players. Like right. the expectation for you know someone like uh, I don't know, pick some Mark Stahl is different than the expectation for Ryan McDonough. Mm-hmm. On the team, so it's just a matter of you know. Well, just depends like in who you ask. If you ask Alan Vigneault, his expectations might be higher for Mark Stahl than they might be for Ryan McDonough. It's funny, you know. I'm watching Alain Vigneault on the bench, and we saw this in Vancouver. I mean, you're in Vancouver. You saw this that slow burn that you see with Alain Vigneault. Did you see some of that behind the bench last night? Yep. Yeah. That slow burn. That okay. And and you know what? Playing eleven seven sucks. You know, ask any player. Like it, it kind of throws a lot of, if not most players, out of their rhythm. It's not a, it's not a good setup mm. for a lot of teams. Eleven forwards and, and seventy. It's it's tough for a lot of guys to find groove uh, when you're doing that. But uh, we knew the Derek Stepan trade was going to hurt them. 
Um, they did pick up Leah Sanderson, who's a real nice player. Philip Heedle looks like he's going to be a real nice player for the Rangers. So it's not as if you can't see that that next wave of forward coming for the New York Rangers. It's just not there right now. Kevin Hayes, I'm going to talk about how frustrating a player Chris Kreider is. Yeah. Kevin Hayes is, is equally as frustrating. Yeah. I referenced that, that Saturday against Nashville. He was fantastic, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Like, Kevin Hayes, like, I don't know. Maybe it's... I keep hearing how bad Kevin Hayes is, but every time I watch Rangers games, he does seem that I go, man, man, Kevin Hayes is a good hockey player. Yeah. Maybe I just don't watch enough Rangers games because I'm missing all I'm missing all the awful Kevin Hayes games. But more than not, I'm watching Kevin Hayes. And I'm like, damn, this guy can play. And you know, the Nashville game, I know it's right, but that's the best game I've seen him play all season, and maybe you know, over the past year, it was fantastic. And that line with VC and Fast, yeah. you know, has has probably been their best line recently. But man. Hayes is frustrating. Man, Kreider's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still don't know who Pavel Bushnevich is and where he's supposed to slot in this lineup. I don't. I have no idea. Well, he's not supposed to slot on the fourth line playing like eight minutes a game. I feel like I feel pretty confident saying that. I mean, if With he's Michael Grabner. <laughs> yeah, if he's going to play like just, you know, what? at this point, if you're struggling to score goals, why not? This is a novel idea. Why not let this super talented guy just make a few mistakes, but, you know, create some offense for you as well, considering that's what you're sorely lacking. I don't know. It's it's I know it seems like a crazy far fetched idea, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm frustrated with this Rangers team. I feel like there's still, even with the step and trade, there's more talent than they've shown so far, and maybe they'll just be one of these teams this year that perpetually tantalizes us. But I, uh, considering we're less than ten games in, I'm still holding out hope for them. Stuck on, stunk on the power play too, as well. Yeah. Specifically, and last night again, just stunk on the power play. Mm. Anyway, okay. Um, let's take a quick. Someone's, someone's got to be bad, right? Yes. Well, yeah. All thirty-one teams can win us down the cup, Jeff. Uh, that's there's some analytics oh, for you. Um, it's good man. It's let's good. take let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we'll uh, we'll talk a bit about the draft and prospects on the other end of things. Sure. While Uncle Jeff takes a quick breather on the bench, uh, allow me to sub in and tell you about SeatGeek, uh, the sponsor of today's hockey pediocast. The thing about SeatGeek is they realize your time is super valuable. They know you're all about using your time wisely and efficiently because you're listening to the PDO cast after all and not your local sports talk radio. Uh, you know that we'll get in here, cover as much as we can in an hour or so the show goes, and we'll get out and let you carry on with your day. There's no rambling on for hours about obscure pop culture references and fantasy booking wild trades that will never happen like we're in a message board. SeatGeek, likewise, is super crisp, efficient, and easy to use. They made their, it their mission to make finding and purchasing t- tickets to sporting events and concerts easier than ever before. Instead of having to take your time out of your busy schedule to scour the internet in the hopes of saving a couple bucks just by buying tickets off some shady website that offers you no assurances, SeatGeek takes matters into their own hands by doing all that groundwork for you and guaranteeing that what you're paying for is what you're actually getting. Now go treat yourself to a night out. Uh, honestly, it doesn't matter who you're watching. The league's gotten to the point where, regardless of the team, there's at least a couple individual players that'll make them watching them worthwhile. I think it's easy to take it for granted just how physically impressive uh, some of the athletes are these days. And it doesn't really translate if you're watching it on TV or on your computer, but then you go to the game and you're at the rink and it's just mesmerizing how fast the play is moving and how hard the boards rattle after a hit that might otherwise honestly look pretty fairly innocuous otherwise. Uh, so yeah, that's right. You're hearing me correctly. What I'm doing right now is advertising for as, ad, advertising and advocating for watching the game. Uh, and I haven't even mentioned the best part yet. The people who not only download the PDOcast but actually listen to it are rewar- being rewarded by SeatGeek for their efforts, getting $20 off their first purchase. I've had a number of people send me pictures of themselves at various games looking like they're having a blast, and it honestly always brings a smile to my face because I get to live vicariously through them a little bit. So to get in on that action yourself, all you have to do is follow just a few easy steps. Download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and you'll get a great deal on the next live event you decide to go to. And with that, uh, let's get back to story time with the great Uncle Jeff Merrick. All right, so I've got a few questions here from listeners of the show, uh, and they're draft-oriented and prospect-oriented, and you're the guy to talk about this, so I'm going to give the floor to you here. Um, you know, Evan Kosman asks, who are, uh, who are the players out of the projected top five or the top handful? I mean, we obviously know about Rasmus Dahlin and Andrei Svechnikov yeah. and the top guys, but are there certain guys you're excited seeing, um, you know, how their years are going to play out and where they're going to end up in when we get to draft season again? Uh, like, Are there any notables that stick out to you? 
Uh, Jack McBain sticks out to me. Now, he plays in the OJHL. Um, he was a Barry Colts draft pick, but he's not going to the OHL route. He's going to play uh, NCAA. Um, Jack McBain, he's a uh, six foot four centerman, uh, plays with the Toronto Junior Canadians in the OJ. He's one, a real nice high skill player. Uh, Rasmus Kopari, uh, who plays in Finland, uh, a little bit, a little bit lean. He's a 5'10", 5'11", 160 pounds. Um, really skilled, uh, really skilled player with, with soft, soft hands, uh, that can score. Jared McIsaac is a defenseman for the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, a couple of years ago when Halifax had the top two picks, uh, Benoit Olivier grew and Jer- Jared McIsaac were the top two. Both those players uh, will go probably in the first round this year. Certainly Jared McIsaac will. Um, Joe Valeno, the exceptional player from a couple of years ago in St. John, um, who I thought was in a lot of ways buried on a really good St. John Sea Dogs team last year. Um, you know, this year I think he's someone he's going to probably be out of the top five. We'll see how the season goes. Um, I like Bodie Wild a lot. Um, from the uh, development program, uh, if he would have, you know, gone to the OHL, probably would have been drafted first overall ahead of ahead of Ryan Merkley, who ended up going to Guelph. Um, I like Bodie Wild a lot. Um, who else do I really like in this draft outside of there? Um, I like Akil Thomas uh, from the Niagara Ice Dogs. Um, watch him play his minor hockey. He's like a, you know, pit bull on a pork chop uh, type player. Evan Bouchard, the London Knights, a really steady. Um, smart uh, defenseman. I remember when, remember when London won that Memorial Cup a couple of years ago in Red Deer, and they brought a bunch of uh, extra skaters with them too. And Evan Bouchard is skating with them. Like, wow, here's a guy that captain a U17 team, and uh, and can't even make it onto the Memorial Cup squad. Jet Wu out in Moose Jaw. You know, Tim Hunter continues. It's not a great year for the Western League for prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not at the high end, but I would uh, I would say that you know Jet Wu. Um, in Moose Jaw is a six foot defenseman, uh, 200 pounds, um, real nice. He's like a, if you like, and we just mentioned it Cronwall a second ago, if you like old school defensemen, right, who love to hit, then, then Jet Wu is your guy. So those are a few of them that, that, that jump to mind right away for me. I mentioned Benoit Olivier Grew as well. He's in Halifax. He's a, he's a centerman. Um, if we're looking at players like, you know, Deline and Svechnikov and Boakfist and Quentin Hughes and Philip Zadina all being in that top five mix. And those other guys, oh, we should probably throw in Brady Kachuk as well, mm-hmm. uh, who's probably the more talented of the, the two, uh, the two uh, Kachuk boys, one being in Calgary, of course. Those, those are the ones that, that come to mind for me right away. But, man, if you get a chance and if you, if you live in Ontario, get a chance to get out there to the OJHL and have a look at Jack McBain. This guy, this guy's legit. He's the, he's the real deal. So what uh what what kind of uh junior hockey stuff Although, are you going to be doing this season? Are you allowed to talk uh, about that yet? And uh, uh, what time is it? Has the press release come out yet? <laughs> uh, I would I would love to be able to, but th- we're going to be announcing the broadcast schedule mm-hmm. soon, and I think along with it, we'll be announcing um uh, some of the support properties. Right, we're going to be doing like, some stuff this season again. Yeah, yeah, That's good. Um, and our. Uh, our coverage begins on November 6th with the Canada-Russia series. First game in Moose Jaw, Western Hockey League. Next day is in Swift Currents. And I'm not sure when our first junior hockey game is going to be this year. But maybe by the time this podcast gets up, this will all be public. And you'll say things like, well, Merrick, how come you didn't say anything on the, on the PDO cast? Mm. Um, but, yeah, that should, be, that should be coming out soon. One player – people always get on me when I start talking about 15-year-olds. <laughs> but one player that your audience should probably know about uh, is a kid. He's in his minor midget year playing with York Simcoe Express, YSE. I'm not sure if you've seen some of the, the highlights on, uh, on the Internet yet. Quinton Byfield. Does he's like Lindros without the nastiness, mm. the way this guy this guy dominates. Just you know what, Dimitri and all the good listeners of the PDO cast, mm-hmm. take the name Quentin Byfield, yep. write it on a piece of paper and put it in your back pocket. Because that's a name you're gonna you're, you're gonna be pulling out in a couple of years, if not at this time next year, and say to yourself, Oh yeah, that uh, that long winded guy on the PDO cast mentioned him once upon a time. Quinton Byfield plays York Simcoe Express Minor Midget. This kid's legit. So what but yeah, you put that paper in the back in your back pocket and then you wash your jeans and all of a sudden you you don't have anything to show for it anymore. Maybe not your back pocket. Stick it in an envelope and stick it in the safe in your mm-hmm. basement and just leave it there and, and pull it out a year from now. 
That's fair. I think I think that quote you had there about uh, people always get on me when I'm talking about 15 year olds. I think someone's gonna <laughs> someone, someone's gonna pull that out of context. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always good. The internet's good for that. Man, was I getting roasted this morning on Twitter? I put up that uh, I retweeted Uffe Bodin, our friend from Sweden, uh, tweeted out that picture of uh, Ante Kopitar stripping Austin Matthews in front of the net. Mm-hmm. Matthews hiking it back and stripping the puck under the blue line, heading back up the ice. And so I just put like a nice little like, hey, if you have any kids that play minor hockey, show them this play or show them the sequence. Not saying that, hey, pay attention to Matthews on this or, hey, pay attention to Kopitar on this, because really pay attention to both. It's a great play, great checking plays by both players. Right. Man, the amount of you're a Leaf so-and-so and, oh, Toronto media. and all, I put it out there without any comment about Matthews or Kopitar. And, like, the level of bile that came back on these tweets like to me it's like a harmful little tweet about hey kids here's something to watch and like the nastiness and sexual innuendo that came along with that tweet uh from the uh the echo chamber for idiots uh also known as twitter sometimes that came back to me was striking dimitri i'm gonna write a devastating op-ed piece of not it was just i i couldn't every now and then i gotta step back and say like yeah man people really hate toronto yeah in the rest of canada yeah yeah and if that's true and if it's like that it's gonna be a really tough few years for the rest of canada isn't it it really is it's gonna be very bad it's uh better to just get over those uh, hard feelings and like, embrace the fact that it's fun hockey to watch well he, and here's my question about all of it normally we saw this with um with ottawa in 2007 we saw this with the Oilers in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, we've seen this before. We saw this with the Calgary Flames when they went to the Stanley Cup final against Tampa. Um, if the Maple Leafs make it to the Stanley Cup final, okay, I'm going to ask you as a Canadian, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Yep. Canadian hockey fans tend to get behind their remaining hockey team in the playoffs should they make it to the Stanley Cup final. It de facto becomes Canada's team. Okay. Can you see the rest of Canada getting behind the Maple Leafs, the likes of which Ontario fans got behind the Oilers, got behind the Flames, certainly got behind you know, just the, the Senators in 2000, got behind the, the Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. uh, when they made their, their Stanley Cup run in 2011? Can you see the rest of Canada getting behind the Maple Leafs like even Leafs fans got behind other Canadian hockey teams? Because I can't. No, it's going to be much more vitriolic. Although I would, I mean, definitely with the Oilers and the Flames teams, that happened. But I feel like those teams were kind of like more sort of just scrappy, good stories. Like, I feel like when the Canucks made the final in 2011, uh, there was some resentment in the rest of Canada about that team. It was a, it was, that was a very hateable team, though. Even you have to admit that. Yeah. There were some, there were some personalities on that team. Yeah. That... Uh, that made that made the squad, you know, pretty easy to detest. They were damn fun to watch, though. That's for sure. You bet they were, man. The Sedins at the height of their powers, puck on a string, for sure, man. That was a fun team to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of jarring, I say, jarring personalities on that team. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's it's tough whenever you uh, you bring up anything involving uh, a Toronto player or the team. Uh, the comments devolve into a just complete wasteland. But and, and even sometimes, even if you don't even mention Toronto, sometimes the, the discussion just turns into it. It's uh, you should read the comment sections on some of my articles on Sportsnet.ca. They're pretty hectic. Although I guess wise people say don't read the comments for a reason. I think reading the comments is important, though. Mm. I do, and just like you know, checking your Twitter, checking your responses. Because if you're gonna, I've always believed this, Dimitri. If you're going to accept the praise, then you have to accept the hate too. You can't have both. So I have a you can't you, you can't have both. I have a question for you, Jeff. I noticed that you okay. follow thirty three hundred people on Twitter. I do. I use it as a wire service. So I follow like two fifty, and it drives me crazy because I have this OCD. <laughs> I, have, I have this like OCD problem where I want to be on top of everything, so I'm like compulsively checking my phone and, and making sure I read everyone's tweets. I can't even imagine what yours is like. It must be just complete another mayhem. But I, I guess you just sort of you've come to terms with the fact that. You're not going to see everything everyone says, but that's totally fine because in the in, in, in the grand scheme of things, you'll see what it, you need to see. It's all in lists, though, right? Hmm. Like I just I just go to my whether it's I mean the hockey list. Let me just have a look here. The hockey list has 842 members. Okay, all right. That's still so, a lot, though. 
MMA, I've got 66. General sports, 52. News, I've got 190. Workout, 58. Music, 43. Uh, Buddhism, 79. Vegan, 36. Junior hockey, 348. AHL, 42. Um, hockey players, 229. You know, hockey teams, 21. You know, so like it's all sort of it's all it's all very organized. So I can you know it's, it's pretty easy to personalize. What I don't understand is. And I've had people block me for this in the news category. Why do people get upset when you put them in a list? I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, do people get upset about that? Well, I've had people block me for putting them in lists. Hmm. Like, oh, don't, don't put me in a list. Like, don't put me in a folder. I don't, can anyone listen? Can you please tweet me and let me know why that's good? Because they're like two very specific um, political follows. Um, that I that I followed until they blocked me. Just and I've had zero interaction with these people, but have blocked me. And in their profile is will block if put in lists. What's the problem with that? I've never heard that before. That's that's why I was shocked. I know I had no idea that was actually a thing. I had no clue. Yeah. Do you actually? Um. Because you also obviously have a lot of followers. Um. Do you actually keep up with your mentions, or do you just like check in every once in a while? Um, I check in. I think it's important because I've learned a lot of things from responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, I still firmly believe that most people that follow me are smarter than me, and I can only I can only do myself better from reading their perspectives and interacting with them. Right. And I've made some great friends doing that too, like friends that'll be with me for life, just from you know an arbitrary like, "Hey, man, that's a great point," and then I'll, that'll start a chain of conversation. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I check the mentions all the time. I think it's, I think it's kind of a responsibility that I have just in case like, Hey, listen, man, I may be effing up too. Right. And if someone's going to call me on it, a, I deserve to be, and B, I might learn from it. So I don't want to live in that. I'm going to, I've come down off the mountain with these two tablets and this is, you know, I, I, I refuse to be that guy. Right. You know, I refuse to be the guy that puts himself above anyone that I'm interacting with on Twitter because, um, What's what's the saying? At the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back in the same box, and I really believe that. That's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah, no, I agree. As uh, for what we just said about how Twitter can sometimes devolve into a, a bad place, it's uh, it's obviously a it's great a resource, and we've. Uh, I mean, you said it yourself, and I completely agree. I've met some great people on there yeah. and struck up friendships, and um, it's uh, it's good. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy it exists. I'm happy we're on it. You know, every now and then, this was something I, that I um, that I used to do a lot more when I uh, when I was uh, training in martial arts, like hyper seven days a week, and I do it every now and then. And it's interesting to do it on Twitter. Um, have an entire day where you accept that everything that happens to you and around you is your fault, hmm. and then reflect on your behavior. Like, well, what did I put out in the universe that brought this back? And I find that Twitter is an immediate way to do that. Like when someone just flames you on Twitter, instead of just like flying off the handle, oh, this guy or this girl's a bad, bad, like what, or just it, it, take a step back and say, well, what did I put out that brought this out of someone? And sure, most times like, well, you know, that person's just a jerk and wants to get something off their chest and there's probably more to it, but I don't have the time to get into the psychology of that person's head. But I think as an as a exercise as a human being, I think it's interesting every now and then to just take a, take an entire day, Dimitri, and say, I'm going to act as if everything that happens to me and around me is my fault and adjust my behavior accordingly. I had someone... There's an easy way to do that. I had someone, uh, when I asked for questions for this show, I had someone yeah. say, uh, will Jeff do a, a philosophy podcast? And I feel like... Uh, <laughs> You just answered that question. <laughs> I just do snippets of it. You know, that was my minor at university, so I got to sneak it in somehow. They think my low rank Kierkegaard impressions. Um, I don't think anyone wants to hear me mm. too much about that. They kind of just want to hear, like, what should the Rangers do with the, you know their uh, their fourth line, and should they still go eleven forwards and seventy? Yes. Oh, so that's I, I get, the much like value I bring to the world. I have very useful topics indeed. Um, I had someone ask about uh, what books we're reading these days. Are you uh, are you reading anything good these days? Uh, I just picked up Custance's coach's book and Ooh, started yes. reading it yesterday in my chiropractor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just picked that one up. Um, as far uh, as far as non hockey books, right now I'm reading the uh, the uh, Alan Watts uh, autobiography. Uh, what else? do i have on the go 
the brain that healed itself. Uh, I'm reading uh, Norman Deutsch, who I think is a genius. Um, what other hockey book? Just finished a Red Kelly book. That's about it that I got on the go right now. So I'm reading the Cousins book as well. I'm almost done. Um, I'm How gonna, is it? I'm 30 pages in. It's really good, and I'm actually uh, later this week – uh, him and I are going to do a podcast, and we're going to do a bit of a deep dive uh, on it. Um, so that'll be good. I, I love the way he structured it like that with the the opening the opening segment, the opening chapter on you know uh, having a conversation at Dan Bilesma's house, mm-hmm. and how you're a coach twenty four hours a day. Yeah. It's a great book, right away. I mean, Custance is great. Yeah, no, he's Custance such a smart guy, and he's a fantastic writer. Um, and the book grabs you right away. It just like grabs you by the ankle and says, "Come on, we're going to go swimming down here now." Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, Custance is great, and uh, the rest of the book is kind of like that too. I mean, obviously, all the different coaches have different styles and personalities and the way they approach their jobs, but it's it's great getting that type of insight. Um, two other books I have on the agenda. Uh, we were talking about concussions earlier. Is mm-hmm. uh, Game Change by Ken Dryden? Um, he takes a swipe at me in the book. Does he? Yeah, John oh. Shannon told me he takes, a, which is fine. Whatever, I don't care. Can can can. Yeah, I haven't. I, I shouldn't say it because I haven't read it yet. But apparently there's there's a, a moment on uh, – it must have been Hockey Central at noon where I was talking to John and I think Scott Morrison. And I, I'm still very much – I mean we're all in the camp of getting hit in the head doesn't tickle and isn't good for you. But, I mean, a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Ali Rendley, uh, who has worked you know, numerous times with Dr. Charles Tater. Uh, actually, Dr. Charles Tater last summer let her cut open skulls for brain surgery. It's a great story that I'll bore you with one day, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has always, you know, gone out of her way to point out, like, well, hold on a second here. There is still not that A to B causal relationship yet. We strongly believe there is. Right. And I know that the, the screams of this is, you know, the, the the tobacco industry argument for so many years. But she keeps saying we're just not there yet. I think that might have been the point that I was trying to make, because it's the only point that I make about this when really the point is I'm not a doctor and I don't know. But I think that and again, I haven't read the book yet, but Johnny was telling me that, yeah, Dryden takes a good swipe at us. Oh, here they are towing the NHL line. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh, geez. Well, I think here the fact go. that we're having just a discussion to begin with is a crucial first step, right? Even even if you're not entirely, you know, convinced on uh, the, the relationships or how certain things are, like well, the fact that we're talking I- about it is is good i have i have like 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 the majority of people listening to this podcast and i suspect you as well the strong belief that repeated you know hits to the head um can lead to you know um cte and all sorts of degenerative brain diseases Mm -hmm. that if you didn't get hit in the head you might not otherwise suffer from right i believe that i don't know that but i believe that and I've always maintained this, you know, the great unspoken element of concussions is the speed of the game, right. which we don't, which we don't want to talk about. And I've always said, and I'm not sure if I've talked to you about it, then I've brought up this example before. If I told you, because in 2005, in that lockout, when the whole, you know, 2006 comes around, the, the league has redone itself and it's fly zone and guys are, you know, 35 miles an hour. It's crazy fast NHL right now. Like there are going to be collisions. There are still 10 players on the ice. They are unimpeded. They cannot be slowed down. You know, strict enforcement on, on hooking, on slash slowing players down is out of the vocabulary. Let them roam free and let them roam fast. If I told you, Dimitri, you could only park your car while you're traveling 55 miles an hour. Eventually, you might learn how to do it, but you'd smash a lot of cars along the way. Right. Here's my question. If, we, if I said to you, Dimitri, you're the, you know, you're the NHL commissioner, and you've told me that you want this game to be played at 30 miles an hour, and I said to you, okay – we can get there, but it's going to cost you 2,000 concussions because nothing exists in a vacuum. There's always a law of unintended consequence. There will be more concussions right. because guys are going so fast at different heights in a physical game. Concussions are a reality. It will happen. Yep. If I said to you, Dimitri, we can get it so it's 30 miles an hour, but it's going to cost you 2,500 concussions, would you say let's do it? Because yeah. the NHL has. Yeah. Yeah, that's, there's going to be uh, – that's just the nature of the beast. There's going to be uh, stuff that happens. It's part of the game. I think that's why 
uh, people are so fervent in their beliefs that fighting shouldn't be in the game because I feel like that's the type of head trauma that is avoidable. Yeah, um, I, and, I, and I completely agree with that. Hmm. But we never want to talk about how the speed right. is affecting concussions because we all love the speed. Wow, look how fast Connor McDavid is going. Yeah. Yeah, but, no, that genie's, but the thing is, that genie's out of the bottle now. Yeah. And now we have to deal with it. And I think that if we're going to have this open conversation about concussions, that has to be on the table. Yeah. No, if it's we really want to get to the, bo- to the bottom. Yeah. If we really want to get to the bottom of this thing. Now, one of the ways, you know, we can look to address it is do we start taking players off the ice? Is it a four on four game? Right. I don't think we're going to make the rinks any bigger. I don't think there's any financial appetite for owners to do that, to retrofit and spend millions of dollars doing that and take seats out of the building. I don't think the appetite is there. But do we get to a place where if we can't make the rinks bigger, we're taking players off the ice? Are we making the season shorter? Well, the minute the players signed off on linkage, their salaries to revenues, there's no way you're taking games off the table. There's not a chance. I think all these elements need to go into this conversation but why do we refuse to talk about how the speed of the game is leading to more concussions at the same time it's because we love it yes we say we love it so much we don't want that oh look at those games in the 80s oh look how slow and the hooking and the holding not to say that concussions didn't happen then but i would submit they didn't happen at the alarming rate that they happen now. Now, the flip side of that argument is, well, they're just not diagnosed. And that's probably legitimate too. And it still was a much more violent game too. But if you want to get, if you want to make this thing a, I, I can't think of anything that was made faster and safer. Like when you increase the speed limit on any street, there are more accidents. Yeah. That's just a reality. Why do we think that we can continue to make the game faster and still keep it safe? and not more dangerous. Don't the two necessitate one another? Faster equals more dangerous. What am I missing here? No, you're raising some good points, and I think it's a, it's got a bit of an uncomfortable subject because, you know, you don't want to feel guilty about enjoying what makes hockey such a an entertaining, beautiful product, but it does have, obviously, negative consequences as after you reach a certain level. So I don't know what like, the right I, answer I, is. I agree with you. Like you, you want you want to get rid of like the unnecessary ones. Like the fighting ones are the obvious ones. Yeah. Right. But that represents that represents something pretty small. And the one thing that you know the Dr. Rendley would always tell me, she said, "You know, you hockey guys are stupid." I said, "Well, I know that, but why do you think so?" And she said, "I, I treat more people for concussions to get hit in the stomach than I do to get hit in the head." You guys think that it's just getting hit in the head that makes concussions? I mean, I'm sure there are people right now listening to this podcast that say, yeah, man, you know what? I got hit from my, I got hit in my back and I got a concussion or, you know, I got punched in the stomach and I got a concussion. All that has to happen is your, 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 your brain needs to hit your skull. And that's not, I mean, the, the, the getting hit in the head is an obvious one, but it's all contact that can produce concussions. Yeah. And the big ones getting hit. And Dr. Mendeley would always, she always say like, man, I see so many people that get hit in the stomach and they have a concussion. You guys just think it's you getting hit in the head, just the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, another book uh, I'm excited to read is, uh, have you heard about this uh, Sean Avery's memoirs? Book? Yeah, yeah. So my bu- uh, good buddy, uh, Frank Saravelli, re- read it already, and he did a bit of a review. And uh, he, says it's, uh, he says it's worthwhile. I mean, it's very, it's very Sean Avery. It's what you'd expect, but there's some, uh, yeah. some good anecdotes in there. All right, I got to pull the... Uh, pull the curtain back a little bit when he first started to write this book okay there was a few people that always asked me because he got he reached out to me on twitter because mm-hmm. i was always i was always someone that that liked sean avery when he played i know i was in the minority at that point but i was always someone and i was talking to his agent pat morris about this and then they're like, you're the only guy who will defend this guy i'm like i know i'm out here on a, out here on an island pat um and uh and i and i we had a, a correspondence about the book so I, I knew that it was coming i haven't started it yet um, but I've got a copy of it sitting on my desk at work and I'm looking for, I just read an interesting piece was it the New York times. I just did a, just did a piece. On, I can't remember. I just read it last night before bed. Um, but Sean, Sean to me is, I mean, obviously one of the most interesting characters that the NHL has ever seen. And whether you like him or whether you don't like him, whether you liked what he did on the ice, what he represented and all that. I think the idea that the NHL, you know, is a a league that needs Sean Avery needs Sean Avery's is a discussion that 
that uh, that merits some conversation. Right. That, again, to the point about this is entertainment, and I think Sean understood that more than anybody else. And if you want to talk about you know rallying against quote unquote traditional hockey culture, mm-hmm. Avery does that. Yeah, hard. Like at, at every single level growing up too, like I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. You no, know, I don't need to put a blindfold on and march. You know, I'm still a human being here. Now, was he the nicest guy to, to people on the ice, to people on his team? Well, no. You know, no one makes through it no one makes it through their NHL career necessarily without, you know, having some enemies or doing some questionable things. But uh, I think that Sean has uh, a in in my mind a refreshing perspective on what on on what the balance is between being a player and being your own person at the same time. So I think a lot of players, I think a lot of players blur it too much, and I think Sean keeps it distinct. Yeah, I'm. Like, I'm, fir- I'm still. I'm still a human being here. Yeah, I'm firmly in the camp that uh, the league does need more Sean Avery types. Uh, just like in terms of the personality and the character, because. Um, if the if the game really is going to grow and reach a larger audience, you sort of need that type of nuance. So it's not just a bunch of robots. Because regardless of how good they are, like how physically uh, capable they are, uh, there is a certain level of intrigue that is missing right now in the league that I'd like to see more of. So I think we all would, yeah. all of us, yeah. but no matter what the position is. I think that I think we'd all like to see people that with personalities that we can that we can stick to. You know, this idea that, oh, you know, he does his talking on the ice. Oh, man, that's so boring. Now, that's great and all. It's wonderful to watch him on it. But, but you know, give it, let, let these – it's funny, too, because, I mean, you've hung out with all these guys. We all know hockey players. Yep. You know, how profoundly different are they away from the cameras? It's insane. And, I mean, you see why, right? Because as soon as a player says anything that's remotely controversial, he gets yeah. torn to shreds. And it's like, why, why would you do that yeah. when you can just give a cliched answer? But – it's kind of like it's a, it's a deeper rooted problem than just the players themselves not having personality. They all do to varying degrees. It's sort of this kind of culture we've built around them that doesn't support that, and and I think we need to change that. And doesn't encourage it. No, I agree. I, yeah. I agree completely. All right, Jeff, we could talk for hours here, but I know uh, you got to get get going. You got a uh, life. I got kids to pick up. To do. Yes, um, I got to go find podcasts to be part of now. Well, I'm glad you uh, you took the time to come on this one, man. And you're uh, you're welcome to come back on and chat whenever you like, dude, man. I'm uh, I'm I'm on I'm on Mount Rushmore for the podcast. So I gotta come I gotta come on and uh, defend my turf here. And yeah, uh, not that I'm you know uh, paid to do this, but yeah, check out Custance's book on uh, on coaches. It's excellent. Absolutely, it's it's a really good read. Highly recommend it. Um, all right, Jeff. We'll uh, we'll chat soon. All right, thanks, Dimitri. All right, have a good one. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. <laughs>